Yeah, thanks, Claire. Good morning, Life Church. Glad that you're with us this morning. Um, if we don't know one another, my name is James Sharp. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my joy to open God's Word with you this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 3. We've been walking through uh, the book of James this summer, and we just continue in that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I hope to just remind you regularly is that what the book says matters a whole lot more than what the guy behind the pulpit says, does, and so um, the best way that you can be sure that what is coming from behind the pulpit lines up with what is in the book is if you have the book in your lap. And so whether you're using an old-fashioned paper Bible or a Bible app, I'd love it if you turn to James chapter 3 and, and camp there with me throughout our time this morning. If you need a Bible, we have a few hardback black ones on the table that you pass on your way in. You can walk out of here with that thing, and we wouldn't call it stealing today if uh, you decided that you would read it. So take that as our gift to you. James chapter 3 is where we will be. We are a people of many, many words. Um, That's more true for some of us than it is for others, of course. Um, But we are all a people who spend a lot of our lives with our mouths open. The average person alive today will spend one-fifth of their life talking. That's the average person. There are definitely some above-average people, right? Um, Some people who spend way more than one-fifth of their lives talking. When I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking about my good friend named Tommy Lowe. Tommy is one of our elders. Maybe you know Tommy. Um, Tommy talks more than just about any other person I've ever met in my life. Um, I remember, that's right, thank you. I remember the first time that I ever was going to spend significant one-on-one time. Tommy's over here right now, by the way, which is why I'm just talking to y'all. But um, (laughs) the first time I was going to spend significant one-on-one time with Tommy, and I mean, you probably know this about me if you've been around here at all. I'm I'm like this super awkward social introvert, right? Um, And so if we're going to spend one-on-one time together, I'm going to pregame that. Right, I'm going to make a list of things that we might possibly talk about, you and me, so that if there's ever like that awkward moment of silence, I have something that I can speak into that silence, because that idea just really stresses me out. And so Tommy and I were going to spend time together, and I'm thinking, man, what in the world am I going to talk to this dude about? I sit down in his truck, and I think we were in Virginia before he took his first breath, right? Like, as he just ran his mouth the entire time, which I was great with, because Tommy, let's face it, I didn't have to use anything that was on my list, right? I was really, really grateful for that, and I am grateful for you. But my point is that, that all of us talk a lot. Some more than others, yes, but all of us talk a lot. We are a people of many words. To put that a different way, I read this week that if you took the number of words that the average person says in one day, you would fill a 50-page book every day. If you were to take that over the course of a year, 50 pages, that's kind of a short book, and so maybe 200 pages is a normal-length book, Right? every one of us would fill up 132 of those 200-page books every single year, which means that the words that you will speak in your lifetime are enough to fill a library, right? Every one of us, we speak a library's worth of words in our lifetimes. We are a people of many, many words. That makes sense. We're created in the image of a God, 
who speaks, right? The Bible tells us that God spoke the universe into existence. The Bible tells us that God presently sustains and upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. So it's in speaking that God creates things and it's in speaking that God holds all things together. On top of that, God wants to be known by and reveals himself through this thing right here in front of me, his living holy word. And so because our God is a God who talks, it is no surprise that we, people who are created in his image, are also people who talk. It is also no surprise that the words that we say have profound power for good and for evil. With our words, we bless God and we curse God. With our words, we bless others and we curse others. And each of those is a mighty and powerful and serious thing. By the way, this morning, when I say the word curse, when the book of James says the word curse, I'm not talking about cussing. Some of y'all were like, Phew. right? We're not talking about like four letter missteps. We're not talking about like the occasional profane word here and there. When we talk about cursing, we're talking about a much larger category of speech, one that all of us are going to be guilty of on the regular. We're talking about things like gossip, slander, deception, flattery. We're talking about using our words to tear other people down, and we're talking about using our words to build ourselves up at the expense of other people. But it is these kinds of words that the word of God says are tremendously powerful. And therefore, we must heed the counsel of God when it comes to how we wield our words. We must listen to God's wisdom. We must take in what God's word says about how we are to speak our words. And that's exactly what I hope and pray we will do today as we come to James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. Let's read together, brothers and sisters, God's word for us today. James starts this way. He says in verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, I should point out here that James is not talking about every kind of teacher in this verse. Right? He has nothing against you being a seventh grade earth science teacher or a third grade trigonometry teacher. James doesn't, he doesn't hate school, right? He's not talking about school teachers here. He's talking about teachers in the church. And he's warning that all of us ought to be careful before we aspire to teach in the church. That's because words are powerful and teachers use lots of words, Right, teaching in the church, it involves using words to either clarify or to obscure the truth. And that is truth about what God has done and who he is. And so it's truth of great eternal consequence. And so we should be cautious before we step into a position where we're going to use our words to teach about God. Now, as you hear that this morning, I hope that you'll pray for the men and women who do teach here at Life Church, whether they're teaching through that wall in our Life Kids classrooms, whether they're leading a life group, whether they're teaching a men's study or a women's study, or whether they are one of the men who stand behind this pulpit and preach from this stage, 
Right? The teachers in our church need your prayers because we will be judged by greater strictness, James says. And so pray that God would help us to control our tongues so that we might speak in a way that glorifies him and builds up his people. We need to realize, though, that James brings up teachers in verse 1 because he wants to talk about our words in verses 2 and following. He means all of our words, the words that every one of us say. Look at verse 2. He adds, for we all stumble in many ways. I think we can give a hearty amen to that. That's both highlighted and underlined in my Bible. For we all stumble in many ways. But James is talking in particular about our words, our tongues. And so he adds, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James has this vision of a man or a woman who has become mature and complete. He talked about that person in chapter one and said that that person was a perfect man. He brings this person up again and he says, if you don't stumble with your words, then your life is going to follow and you will be mature or complete. But if your life isn't mature or complete, if you aren't perfect, then it's because you have stumbled with your words. And then in the rest of this passage, James, he makes four statements about our words, about our tongues, the things that we say, the words that we speak. Let's just consider each of those four statements one at a time. First, James says, the tongue is powerful. Look at verse three. He writes, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. The tongue is powerful, James is saying. He's illustrating that point for us in two ways. First, he talks about horses, which can be controlled by the bit in their mouths. Now, I know very little about horses. I don't know what the different kinds of horses are, much less could I identify the different kinds of horses in a picture or in real life. I don't understand anything about the different styles of riding horses. I don't know about the different types of saddles and other things that go into horseback riding. I think I know that dressage is a word that is used to describe something having to do with horses, and that just sounds super pretentious to me. So I I don't know anything about horses, and I don't really care to know anything about horses. If that offends you, I'm very sorry. I do know this about horses. I know that a 110-pound professional jockey, who is like 110 pounds soaking wet and all that good, like five foot two inches tall, that that professional jockey is able to control a 1,200-pound thoroughbred racehorse racing at breakneck speed because of this tiny piece of metal that that horse holds in its mouth. 
right? Think about like that picture for a minute, right? This scrawny, tiny professional jockey. I mean, most jockeys, my 11-year-old daughter could beat them up, right? Think about this tiny, scrawny professional jockey. He is able to wield the power of the bit to wield the horse's power to his own will, right? He can force that horse to go wherever he wants it to go, as fast as he wants it to go there, for as long as he wants it to go there, until the horse collapses if necessary because he controls it through that little tiny piece of metal. James says that the words that we say have that kind of power over our lives. Though our tongues are small, they guide us, they direct us, they're powerful. Similarly, James says they're like the rudder of a ship. That's the illustration that he uses in verse four. Think about a ship for a minute. Hurricane force winds might drive that ship forward. 20 foot tall waves might wash over the sides of that ship. And ships themselves can be massive. But it is the small rudder of a ship that controls the ship. One of the largest ships in the world is the aircraft carrier, the USS Eisenhower. The Eisenhower weighs over 91,000 tons. It is 1,100 feet in length. That's almost four football fields end to end. A nuclear-powered 280,000 horsepower engine powers the Eisenhower. The ship at full complement has a complement of 6,100 men and women aboard and more than 100 aircraft parked on its deck. It's basically a floating city. Yet all that weight, all that size, all that power, all those people, all that equipment, they're steered by a rudder that is less than one-tenth of one percent of the ship's total size. That's what our tongues are like, James is saying. Though they are small, they're powerful. They powerfully control and determine the direction of our lives, which would be great, if the words that we said were generally good. But the truth is we do far more damage with our words than we do good, generally speaking. That's the next point that James makes. Number two, James goes on to say that the tongue is destructive. Look at verses five and six. He writes, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And so James continues to point out the way something small affects something big, but now that effect, it's uniquely destructive. Right, an entire forest can be set ablaze by a tiny spark. In the same way, one statement, one sentence, perhaps even one word can cause a fiery blaze in your life. Right, we know so many examples of this. The business executive who's built a career and seen that career come crumbling down because of one angry outburst. The professional athlete who gets kicked to the curb by his team because of something that he said on social media 10 years ago. The child driven to despair by the tormenting words of bullies on the schoolyard. 
Right? We know that words have the power to bring ruin and destruction to our lives. And so James says that our tongues, they can stain our whole bodies. He means that, that sin can start with our tongue but spread throughout our lives just as a small stain on a shirt can ruin the entire shirt. One word has the power to ruin an entire life. Right? A careless word can lead to a fractured relationship and sins like bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment with loved ones. A jealous word can spark rivalry and hatred. A harsh word can crush someone who's important to you. The whole direction of your life is determined by the words you say. The tongue, which James says is set on fire by hell, it sets the course for your whole life. And the sadly ironic thing about all of this is that the people who generally get destroyed by our words, besides us, right, we destroy ourselves with our words, but the other people who generally get destroyed by our words, right, are the people who are closest to us, the people that we love the most, the people that we have least interest in hurting, right? Not many of us have like gone out in the morning and like blown up a complete stranger's lives with our words, Right? Not many of us have walked up to somebody that we've never met and we've just let them have it. No, the people we destroy with our words besides ourselves are the people that we love the most. Our spouses, our children, our parents, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and our local church. More often than not, the people we destroy with our words are the people that we love the most. Why is that? Well, it's because of the third thing that James says about the tongue. He says the tongue is uncontrollable. He says we are powerless to restrain it, to bring it under control. Look at verse 7. He says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James is saying you're more likely to learn to ride a rhinoceros than you are likely to control your tongue. You're more likely to master snake charming than you are likely to master your tongue. You're more likely to domesticate a gorilla than you are likely to domesticate your tongue because your tongue is uncontrollable. Let's prove that for a minute. I mean, God's word says it, so we don't really need to prove it, but I think this is one of those moments where we can pause and think about our own experience, and we could acknowledge, yep, this is true. The tongue is uncontrollable. Let's just do a show of hands thing for a minute. Like how many of you this week, you got up and you decided, you know what? I feel like today is the day. I'm just gonna destroy somebody with my words. Right, you thought like as you're driving to work, you're thinking about Sally, and you're like, man, Sally's been asking for it. Today is the day I'm gonna let her have it. And so I'm gonna go to that meeting with finance and then before I start working on my TPS reports, I'm just going to destroy Sally with my words. Anybody do that? Like you just willfully, intentionally, with premeditation went to somebody and just ripped them apart. Yeah, I thought that there'd be a pretty low hit rate on that particular question, right? But put your hand in the air if this week you put your foot in your mouth and you said something impatient or unkind or harsh, or unloving to somebody who really matters to you, right? Yeah, my hand's in the air on this. Absolutely. We all have that kind of like foot-in-mouth disorder, right? 
we all have the ability to, without intention, without design, without deliberation, to hurt somebody. And again, usually it's the people who matter most to us. Why? Because the tongue is uncontrollable. James, he says, no human being can tame the tongue. Now, of course, we would add to that, and James would agree with us, there was one human being who tamed his tongue, but he was no mere human being. He was the perfect, sinless, unblemished, divine son of God. He was fully man and fully God. He eternally existed, yet he wrote himself into his creation and came in human form, and he did tame his tongue. But he's the only one ever in all of history. And by the way, his cross proves it. Right? The cross of Jesus Christ, it is the greatest evidence of the fact that our tongues are a reckless evil. Right? If you want proof of just how much of a problem your tongue is, look to the cross. It's the proof that our tongues were so bad that they led to so much destruction, that they injected so much poison and wickedness and evil into the world. The cross is the proof that there was simply no other way that God could deal with the problem of our tongues than to send his one and only perfect and righteous son to die as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How big of a problem is your tongue? How big of a problem is my tongue? The cross is the only thing that fully answers that question. It's the proof that we were so bad, that our tongues were so bad, that Jesus had to die for us because there was no other way. Now, why are our tongues so reckless? Why are they so out of control and untamable? That brings us to the fourth thing that James says about our tongues. He says the tongue is revealing. James says that your tongue reveals who you really are and what you really are. Your words, James says, are like a window into the true condition of your heart. Look at verse 9. James writes, with it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Pause there for a minute. This is an example of what the Bible calls hypocrisy. Actually, it's not just the Bible. Everything, everyone calls this hypocrisy. In the book of James, this is called double-mindedness. He wrote about it back in chapter one. But consider for a minute what James is describing here. He's describing people like us gathering in an assembly like this one and using our words to bless God, to praise God, to acknowledge his goodness, his mercy, to extol him for the excellencies of his attributes, to lift high the name of God, using our words to bless him and then turning around, walking out these doors, sitting down in the parking lot and suddenly ripping apart another brother and sister in Christ, another bearer of God's image or likeness. Right, that's what James is describing here. That's hypocrisy. 
James says, double-mindedness. He says, if you gather with the church and right, you praise God and you put your hands in the air during worship and you sway during that one slow song and you even close your eyes during the chorus of that one song that you really love, but then you walk out these doors and you gossip about the family sitting three rows over, you curse them having just blessed God, that's double-minded hypocrisy. These things ought not to be so, James says. Like if you sit in here and you take notes during the sermon and you nod your head along with me when I get really worked up about something, but then out there you're like, man, did you see what she was wearing? Or man, our prayers really need to be with so-and-so right now. Or man, I can't believe how much money they spent on that new house. Or man, it's really good to see so-and-so. They haven't been in church very often lately, right? If we say things like that, subtly tearing down other people who are created in the image of God, who bear the likeness of God, it doesn't matter what we do in here saying, saying things about God or to God. We're revealing the fact that we're hypocrites, that we're double-minded, We're tearing down someone that God has bestowed his image upon. It reveals a problem in our hearts. That's why James goes on to say, verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What James is saying is that what comes out is always consistent with what's within, right? A product is always consistent with its source, right? You don't have fresh water inside the spring, and then all of a sudden it comes out, and you're drinking salt water. It just doesn't work like that. You don't go to a fig tree, and all of a sudden find olives growing on that fig tree. You don't go to a grapevine, and all of a sudden find figs growing on that grapevine. No. If you get salt water from a spring, it's a saltwater spring. If you get olives from your tree, it's an olive tree. And if your words are evil, if your words curse God or others, it is because your heart is evil, period. Your words reveal what is truly in your heart. Jesus said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James says, if you speak evil, it's because there's evil in your heart. If you curse others, it's the overflow of your cursed heart. Your words reveal what is truly in your heart. That one-fifth of your life, that 50-page book every day, that shows you who you really are. So these are the four things that James teaches us about our tongues. He teaches us that our tongues are powerful, they're destructive, they're uncontrollable, they're revealing. Now we're going to turn the corner from that towards our celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning. And as you do that, this is the idea that I want to lay before you. While it might sound like incredibly bad news that James says that our tongues are a restless evil and that they really just are revealing the evil in our hearts. What I want to propose to you this morning is that that is actually very, very good news. It's good news for two reasons. First, it's good news because your tongue means that you don't have to wonder what's really wrong with you anymore. Or you don't have to wonder 
what is really going on in your heart because your tongue is going to reveal what is really going on in your heart perfectly and clearly every time. I mean, imagine having like a sickness of some kind and the doctors, they just can't figure out what's wrong with you, right? They don't know if it's bacteria or virus. They don't know like how to treat it. They can't diagnose your sickness correctly. And so you keep going from doctor to doctor to doctor trying to find somebody to tell you what's really wrong with you and no one can do it. And so your symptoms, they just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And no one can offer you any hope or any healing because they can't figure out what's wrong with you. That'd be incredibly frustrating. But the good news in what James is saying here is that that will never be true for our hearts because our tongues are going to tell us what's wrong in our hearts. Right? If the cursing that comes from your mouth is primarily words of anger, right, this means that you've got the problem of an angry heart. You don't wonder about that anymore. It's very clear. You're not like wondering, man, why do I keep blowing up at people all the time? You keep blowing up at people all the time because you're angry, right? If like people in your life are walking on eggshells around you constantly, afraid of setting off another eruption, right, it's not a mystery. The problem in your heart is the fact that you've got anger in your heart. And somebody's going to say to me, a dude is going to say to me, yeah, yeah, but James, you don't understand, right? I, I, I'm often really tired and like I have these coworkers who are complete morons and nothing Things going right for me in my life. I'm going to say, brother, that's fine. That might be true. But here's the simple reality. Your circumstances around you, they might reveal what's in your heart, but they do not cause what is in your heart. If there is anger in your speech, it's because there is anger in your heart, period, full stop. If the cursing that comes from your mouth is just constantly tearing people down, then you probably got a proud heart. Like if every word out of your mouth is like biting sarcasm, it just puts people in their place. If you can't handle other people like celebrating the wins in their lives, right? Like they're talking about something good that's happened to them and you can't wait for them to shut up so that you can say, yeah, 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 but let me tell you about what happened to me. And that's a sign that you're using your words in such a way that reveals like a proud heart when you can't wait to talk about yourself and you just want people who are talking about themselves to shut up. Brothers, sisters, that's, that's a proud heart. Praise God, your words are going to tell you that. They're going to reveal that, truly. And if the cursing that comes from your mouth is primarily in that category of like gossip and slander and flattery and deception, and man, those can be so subtle you can fly under the radar so much of the time. Like nine times out of ten, those things, they reveal, in the end, a controlling heart. Right? You gossip about other people so that you seem like you're somebody who, who knows things, like you're well-informed. You slander so that you can put other people down and elevate yourself. Right? You flatter and deceive. You tell other people that you think they're awesome even when you don't so that they think that you like them, so that you can like curry their favor and manipulate them into doing what you want them to do. Right? These things are so often signs of an overly controlling heart. But regardless of what specific wickedness is in my heart or yours, the good news here is that our tongues will tell us what we're really sick with. Like our tongues are going to diagnose what is wrong 
and our hearts. Our words will prove it every single time. That leads me to the second piece of good news. Our words will tell us what's wrong with us. And no matter what's wrong with us, the same gospel can cure us every single time. You see, your words, they reveal what's wrong with your heart. But what's wrong with your heart is always a reflection of like, where you're trying to build your identity. It's always a reflection of what you're trying to put your identity in. And so just as an example, the reason you might tear people down with your words is because your heart is proud. But why is your heart proud? Well, it's because you're trying to build your identity on what you accomplish. And you just can't handle it when other people accomplish more than you do. The reason you might say angry things is because you've got anger in your heart. But why do you have anger in your heart? Well, it's because the life that you believe you deserve has been threatened. Right? The comfort that you prefer for yourself. It's threatened by people or circumstances. You sense that people or circumstances are gonna mess up your glorious plan for you. You sense that people are gonna rob you of your deepest desires, and so you respond to that with anger. Right? What's in your heart, it reveals what you're really looking to for joy and fulfillment and what you're building your identity upon, but the gospel gives you a new and better identity. The gospel gives you an identity of sonship. Or the gospel means that true to your identity, once you turn from your sin and trust in Christ, is the fact that you are adopted into the eternal heavenly Father's family. You're welcomed at his family table. You don't sleep in the guest house. You sleep in his mansion for eternity. You have an eternal inheritance among his children. You have access to him as father. You have the eternal love and affection of the high king of heaven as a father. And so you don't have to be jealous when other people get stuff. You don't have to be insecure about what you don't have because what you do have is the favor and love and affection of the one being who matters beyond all other beings in the entire universe. So the gospel, it rewires your identity to deal with the heart issue that overflows in ungodly words. The gospel gives you an identity of righteousness. The perfect righteousness of Jesus is imputed to you. It's credited to you. So you don't have to make something of yourself in order to matter, right? You're not constantly walking through life trying to prove yourself to others or to yourself. When somebody cuts you down, you can say, man, that doesn't really matter because I have the imputed righteousness of God and I don't need to like prove myself to somebody by convincing them that I can make something of myself because again, you have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and so you have all of the favor and all of the righteous reward that Jesus rightly deserved transferred to you. That's a part of your new identity that deals with all the business in your heart that overflows into ungodly speech. The gospel gives you an identity that is eternally secure. The Bible tells us that your eternal future is kept in heaven for you if you are in Christ. It's not here on earth where somebody might get to it or steal it or take it away. It can't be corroded. Moths can't come in and eat it. Nobody can can rob you of it. 
Your eternal identity is secure. The Holy Spirit is guarding your heart so that you endure in your faith, which means that no matter what happens in this life, including all of the things that might make you angry, right? Like all of the disruptions and inconveniences and irritations that might cause you to erupt in angry speech, right? Despite all of those things, the best is yet to come for you because of the security of your gospel identity. You have a guaranteed reservation in paradise with your heavenly father who loves you. So the gospel comes in and it like roots out your anger, the kind of thing that overflows in angry speech. Our words reveal our hearts. Our hearts reveal the identity that we are trusting in Brothers, sisters, may we today just recognize and rejoice that the identity that Jesus offers us is something so much better. May we turn from the evil in our hearts. May we turn to him and trust in him. And may we rest forever in the identity that he has given us by his grace. Pray with me. Father, we ask this morning, that you would make our identity in your son, Jesus, so beautiful to us that we long to turn from any false identity. And we pray that that identity would allow us to uproot the anger and the pride and the need for control, that it would allow us to uproot the, the anxiety and the insecurity and the fear that can so often overflow in our lives in words that tear people down, in words that curse others. Help us to see the beauty of your son, Jesus, and help us to see the spectacular riches of his grace for us in a way that leads us to have hearts that overflow in blessing and not cursing pray that today. In Jesus' name.